Okay, good morning. How is everybody? We're so excited to see you. Are you guys ready to worship the Lord? Amen. Well, if you are, let's stand to our feet and praise the King of Kings, the one who deserves all of our worship. Amen. A praise in the valley.
praise, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through, He is worthy. Isn't He good? Isn't He great? This next song just talks about how worthy He is. So let's just lift our eyes to Him. Forget about what's happened this week or what's going to happen next week and concentrate and focus and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords because He is good. Amen.
about we just kind of stay here for a moment and leave room for the Holy Spirit? How about that? Let's just, let's just praise him for a minute. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you this morning. Holy Spirit, come and blow like a wind among us today. Lord, that would fan the flame within each one of us. Oh, we praise you. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, that we would learn your presence today. with us right now. Lord, as we worship you in, in, in a way that we're just giving ourselves over to you once again, that you remind us this morning of who you are. our desire as a church and as a people to live life infused by your spirit. A people who are led by you, a people who are guided by you.
sense the, the, the Lord, the Spirit is calling us into a deeper place as a people. place of deeper intimacy with him. No, no shallow Christianity. We get into the deep end of the pool. To draw near to him as, as he has drawn near to us. We start to move things out of the way that get in the way. Just, just move things. Thank you, Jesus. If you need forgiveness of your sins this morning, just cry out to him. He responds. Yes, Jesus, thank you. Those who have wandered away from him, he just he just calls you home to come back to be with him. Thank you, Lord. find peace in you, find joy. Lord, we always know somehow, someway, you work things for the good of those who love you. We trust that. putting life in front of us. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
glad to have you here with us this morning. If you could, go around and greet some of your family of faith this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and Merry Christmas. We'll get, we'll get the words, the joy to the world fixed, if you notice that. That, that wasn't anything subliminal that we think about y'all, okay? We'll, we'll get it fixed. <laughs> Amen. Technology always gives the opportunity for stuff to happen. So, <laughs> my goodness. All right, well, tithe and offering, if you have something uh, for this morning, uh, offering envelopes and chairs in front of you. If not, wave your hand around where the ushers will help you out and get you one. But again, each week we uh, take up tithe and offering. Uh, each week we appreciate your faithfulness and your dedication to this church with your giving but also your obedience to uh, what the Lord is teaching us in giving. And we believe that the increase uh, in our lives because of our faithfulness will always be in front of us. So uh, we thank you for your giving. So let me pray over your uh, offering this morning, and then you can bring it forward if you have something. Lord, we thank you to be in the house again today. Lord, Christmas is coming. It's coming fast. And it's just another example of your goodness. And it is the goodness that has come into the world and Lord, um, your faithfulness to us as a people shows up in so many different ways. 
And certainly it shows up with the increase in our lives, Lord, that you are always providing for us. And as we give today, we do so in light of the wonderful, wonderful provider that you are, Lord. You're always, always making a way, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. So if you have something, you can bring it. Uh, let me uh, give you a couple uh, quick uh, highlights, some announcements before we uh, dive into the, the word this morning. Um, Obviously, next Sunday, if you didn't know, let me, let me just break this news to you. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Amen. It's coming. And uh, I'm going to tell you our church schedule on Christmas Eve, because it is a Sunday. Uh, we have our normal 10 a.m. service, like right now. But uh, December is a five-week uh, Sunday. So we always have one big family the last Sunday of the month. We're going to move that up to next week because it's Christmas Eve. So next Sunday is one big family, so all the kids will be with us for the whole service, and they'll participate in the service. And then that evening, we have our uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service. That's at 6 o'clock. And as always, that's, that's a, for the entire family, and, and uh, the team will have some, uh, some snacks and treats for you afterwards. So uh, make plans to be with us next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. Again, 10 a.m. normal, and then uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, for our Christmas candlelight service. And then uh, the youth, um, by the way, the youth, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, which is the Wednesday after Christmas, that's when they're going to have their uh, youth Christmas party. So uh, spread the word about that. They got some things planned for them. And of course, uh, some great things have been happening in Kids Church all this month. And I think this morning they have pajamas and pancakes going on down there. So they're having a good time. Uh, Small groups, by the way, uh, small groups are on break until February, so once we get into January, we'll be letting you know about the things that are happening with our small groups that kick off again in February, and we want everybody to get connected in a small group, so uh, watch for details about that. And then 21 Days of Prayer uh, starts on January the 7th, and that's 21 days from the 7th to the 27th of January. And what's happening for 21 Days of Prayer is that the church will be open every day, uh, all 21 days if you would like to come in for a time of prayer. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from 6 to 7 p.m., Saturday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m., and then on church days, Wednesdays and Sundays, the church is open an hour before service starts, uh, and you can utilize that time for prayer. So uh, we want to kick off uh, 2024. I can't believe I'm saying the the word 2024, Uh, but we're going to kick off 2024 with uh, three weeks of prayer, I'll, I'll encourage you into some fasting during that time, so uh, just watch for details about that. We're going to have a, a good time uh, kicking off our year with prayer because we are a Pray First Church, and that is the highlight of what that means. So, and last but not least, there's a sign-up sheet at the back. We'll probably pass this around uh, next week, but there's a sign-up sheet at the back table uh, that just says Marriage Minutes. And I, I just decided, uh, actually probably about two or three months ago, that I wanted to uh, start to connect about our marriages a little more than uh, we do our once a year uh, marriage night here in February. And what's going to happen is Marriage Minutes is going to be a consistent video that's sent out with just a little highlight about marriage and working on your marriage and some reminders to you that are our marriage. So if you're interested in that, sign up, put a cell number that would get texted to. So that Marriage Minute video will just be sent out by text. As often as they're made, it's going to be a lot of me, but I'll get some other people involved in this. But we want to make sure uh, going forward that our marriages are strong and, and they are in what the Lord desires for our marriages to be. So it's a little help mate to that. So anyways, you can sign up back there if you're interested in that.
Well, get your Bibles out. How about that? If you don't have a Bible, we do put the verses on the screen for you, but I do encourage you to bring your Bible to church, and I do encourage you, uh, I think phone Bibles are wonderful, but I like this kind of Bible even more because uh, you just don't get distracted as much when you uh, have a, a, a book Bible in your hands as much as maybe a phone. But anyways, Matthew chapter 2, we've been in a series called See the Savior, and we're going to continue that today and next Sunday, by the way. Different aspects of the gospel stories of the birth of Jesus, how different people saw uh, the Savior being born. So we, we talked a couple weeks ago about Mary and a little bit about Joseph. Uh, last week, the, the, the announcements of the angels and the response of the shepherds as they saw uh, what was happening as Jesus was being born. And today we're going to check in on a guy named Herod. The Christmas story has a darker underside to it. I want to talk about that darker underside today a little bit and what it means. Uh, King Herod, let me give you a little background on King Herod. Uh, King Herod's father um, was appointed uh, the procurator of the area of Judea by Julius Caesar. So if you know anything about history, Julius Caesar, yes, that Julius Caesar. Uh, and as time went, obviously, King Herod uh, succeeded his father, and he was actually named king of Judea, king of the Jews. And King Herod was a friend and an ally of the Romans, who were obviously uh, uh, in charge of that area. And he governed the area of Judea, which encompassed Israel, for about 33 years. And uh, during King Herod's time as, as uh, sort of ruling the area, that overlapped the time of the birth of Jesus. Um, King Herod, in history, King Herod's kind of a known guy. He's actually connected to names like Mark Antony and Cleopatra. If you go back in history, these, these names that you hear in history, King Herod was, was involved with these people. Uh, the Caesar during his time was Caesar Augustus. That's maybe a name that you're familiar with if, you know, if you're a history buff. Um, but during King Herod's time of, of ruler of that area, as kind of a, uh, instead of, of Rome, um, he never really was able to appease the Jewish people and make them really like him. He tried different things. He even tried to uh, add on into the building of a temple and things like this. But he never really could gain the favor of the Jews. Now, as, you, as we're going to see in this story about King Herod, King Herod was always worried about his grip on power. Which, which is kind of a big highlight point of what we're talking about today. As a matter of fact, as time went on, he had some of his own sons killed because of worried about his own power. That's the kind of guy he was. Um, as you read, even through the book of Acts, you see uh, some of his lineage as rulership in the area. It shows up at different places in the gospel and into the Acts, book of Acts. But I want to read the story today because uh, this has a central place in the story of the birth of Jesus and his response to the birth of Jesus. And again, this is the darker underside of uh, this, this wonderful time of year that we celebrate Jesus coming and drawing near to us. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1, and we're actually going to read a little bit. Let's, let's just kind of read chapter 2 together and, and get a, a, a capture of, of this story here. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, we're not going to get into the, these wise men, the magi today. We're going to talk about them next Sunday. For, and this is what they said. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they saw a sign in the stars, and, and they traveled most likely from Persia. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we talked about that prophecy a couple Wednesdays ago. See, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly to find out from them when the star had actually appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take uh, the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And we, we talked about this this past Wednesday. And when he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's from Hosea. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he, he uh, figured out from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And Joseph did so. So the understory, the darker side of the Christmas story was there was a mass murdering of boys, baby boys. And the Bible doesn't hide the darker evils that happen in the world. Um, by the way, not to blow up your idea of the nativity scene with the wise men coming there, they didn't get there at the stable with Jesus in the major. They, they came much later, as we see that Herod had boys two years and under killed. So it was, it was a period of time after the actual birth of Jesus that the wise men showed up. See, God is doing a work in this world but understand something, the powers that be never let go easily. 
as it is with our world. See, on some level, King Herod was aware that there was an anticipation of a Messiah to come, a ruler, a king to come. And this was stirred up when these wise men came from the east looking for this baby that was born. And he certainly goes and asks for help to find out, well, where is the child to be born? And he brought in the, those that should know this stuff. And, and, and again, this story of those that really should know missed the whole thing, missed really what was happening with God and what God was up to. See, in the midst of God working in this world, here's the point, evil will always lurk. Again, the enemy and the systems of a lost world do not give up easily. And they will do just about anything to hold on to power. See, the Christmas story is as much about a savior being born to save each one of us from our sins as much as it is as how God deals with and judges not only the systems of a world, but the enemy that lurks within. So a savior is born, and the counteraction of the system of the world of evil is then to murder a bunch of baby boys. And these kind of things happen because of the reasons of things we understand that we see power structures, but also the reasons that maybe aren't so evident to principalities and powers. See, see in this story, we end up finding a contrast between two kings and two ways of kingdoms being lived out. You have a king, Jesus, who is born, who eventually serves others. And you have a king, King Herod, who clings to power. You have a king, baby Jesus, that doesn't live by the systems of a world, and a king, King Herod, who does. You have a king, baby Jesus, who eventually gives his life in contrast with a king, King Herod, who kills and takes life. You have a king, ultimately, whose kingdom is eternal, and a king, King Herod, whose kingdom is temporary. See, the news of this, this baby being born, the, the, this possibility of being the Messiah, the one who is to come, the Christ, it obviously made King, king Herod nervous. And he was nervous that ultimately he would lose his place and lose his kingship. He was concerned with himself and he was concerned with his grip on power. And you know what? He was absolutely correct. He was correct on the level that he understood the systems of the world. But he was also correct in what he probably didn't understand, what was behind things, principalities and powers. Because understand this, what God is doing is subversive to everything that you see and everything you do not see. What God is doing does undermine the systems of this world and will ultimately eventually replace them. And ultimately for this we wait, but it also deals with the principalities and powers of things we do not see. Remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about Mary, and we, we, we read this, this wonderful song of, of, of new song, really, that overflowed from her life after she understood she, 
uh, what God was doing in uh, being pregnant with the one who was to come. And remember, it's called the, the, the Magnificat. And remember I said there's a line in that, that, that song that is so subversive, I think we miss it, but it's so subversive that over the of history that there are different countries that have banned using that song in churches and reading of it because it is very subversive. And here is the line of that song. Let me read it again to you. This is in Luke chapter 1 and verse 52. It says, And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. Yeah, that's subversive. That's the work of the kingdom of God. And this is true, and this is what made King Herod nervous. Again, this is true in the things that we do see, but also true in the things we do not see. Here's the thing about power according to the world. It's corrupted, and it will do whatever is necessary to hold on to it. Even murder a bunch of baby boys. That's the, that's the power that really... Uh, sets up the things that we do see. The power will lie. They'll try to break rules. They'll, they'll go far, so far as, as, as taking out the opposition. Keep hold of what they want to keep hold of. And all the while, there's generally people right around them that are saying, that's right, that's the good thing to do. That's actually righteous. Go ahead and do it, but it's corrupted. Remember, I said in the beginning here, Herod even had some of his own children killed, some of his own sons killed and worried that they would, they would take over his, his place of, of rulership of Judea. That's the extent that corrupted power will go to hold on to what they want to hold on to. You see, this dark side of the Christmas story was so much a part of the Christmas story that was prophesied about by the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. In other words, God knew that this would happen. Think about that. But here's the thing, and this is that first slide I have back there. If you'll throw it up there, please. The darkness did not and cannot and will not stop what God is doing. Always know that. The darkness will not, it cannot, never will stop what God is doing because the work of God is so subversive, it will complete its work. And it's constantly grinding against the powers that be and also the principalities and powers you cannot see. Think about that. So when I read a story like this, the murdering of, it doesn't say how many, but, but certainly several, little boys two years and under for the sake of the control of power, these kind of things trouble me. And then you think that God knew this was going to happen and, and sent Jesus anyways. Think about that. These are the things you have to ponder. But I think the reason is this, and this is the second slide, if you'll throw it up. The goodness of God 
will eventually overtake all of the evil that has happened and will happen in this world. That's what God is up to. Because even though it's hard to understand, even the goodness of God will overtake what happened with those little boys at that time. These are things to ponder and think about. It is the subversive work of God and how the kingdom of God has come and how the kingdom of God moves forward and how the kingdom of God works. That we trust that. That Jeremiah said it would happen, it happened, but the goodness of God will eventually overtake even things like that. And you put your hope into that kind of thing. But here's the thing about Herod. It wasn't long after Jesus was born, he died. It's temporary anyways. You can think of the great, you would consider actually good people, the greatest rulers of the world and have done good things. They all die. They all lose this temporary power which they try to cling on to so much. There's only one who does not die. There's only one king or or president or ruler or prime minister that does not die, and that's Jesus. And it's his kingdom that will not end. Everything else is temporary. Don't give your soul to it. Don't put your hope in it. It all is temporary. King Herod didn't get to Jesus, but eventually people did kill him. Think about that. And there lies the confusion of a lost world, waiting for a savior to come and then eventually killing him anyways. That's the confusion of a lost world that's been blinded in their eyes. But, but you know, it's really interesting if you read about this. The devil himself, the enemy, was also very confused by all this. Do you remember the temptations in the wilderness? Remember that? Those temptations ultimately were trying to get Jesus to bypass the cross. I'll just give you the kingdom of the world now, Right? But yet we also then read that the the enemy's behind getting him to the cross. He's just confused. He didn't know what to do. There lies the confusion of a lost world, blinded that their Savior has come. Everybody really wants saved, but yet they push him away. And the devil doesn't know what to do with him. But this is the work of God that has come to deal with all of these kind of things. So we see this duality in our world, sin working itself out as humans are their own worst problem, yet connected by an enemy that has schemes and plans. But God is at work, and the darkness cannot stop what he is doing. That is what the Christmas story is about. See, this subversive work of the kingdom of God Troubles the powers that be. And that is like the yeast being worked through the dough, of the, like the parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. It's working right now. And the work of God through Jesus will overcome evil and will replace the powers that be. That's our hope. For as much as man can do good things in the world, it, it, it falls short. 
For as much as we think we can come up with a good way of governing people, okay, but it falls short. It will never measure up to the work of the kingdom of God that is being established among us right now. See, that is why Isaiah chapter 9 prophesies about Jesus, and it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he goes on to say it will be an everlasting government that will never have its end. That's the subversive work of the kingdom of God. And we see this in the Gospels, that not only does Jesus make people like Herod nervous, but then he also drives out demonic spirits and he heals the sick. Why? Because the kingdom of God is making its work through this lost world. And then at Good Friday when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes all the sins of the world to the cross, and there he disarms the principalities and powers. That's the work of the kingdom. Then on Easter Sunday when Jesus is raised from the dead, death is defeated. That's the work of the kingdom. Then as he ascends and sits to the right hand of the Father with authority and power underneath him, the principalities and powers are subjected to him. That's the work of the kingdom. Then we sit in anticipation that Jesus will return on this white horse of judgment, Revelation 19. That's the work of the kingdom. Then it brings all to the fulfillment of all things being made new, Revelation 21. That's the work of the kingdom. See, this is the work of God. And regardless of how hard the world tries to hang on to its power, this work will not be stopped. He will bind up all that is lost, and he will bind up all the brokenhearted, and he will make all things brand new once again. That's the work of the kingdom. So, big picture perspective. This is what God is up to. He will replace every government that we have tried to set up as known to man with something better. Amen. We long for that. He will break down everything in what we do not see. All principality and power will be subjected to him. Amen. We long for that. And to see this, this wonderful picture of all things being made new, that's what Herod was fighting against. He didn't want all things made new. He wanted what he had. So, so a couple of different things. You have to see this in a way that I will give up anything that I have the desire to hold on to because eventually that goes away too, whether or not you want to let it go. He's come to bring a new government to your life, a new way of being, instituted by him. And all the while behind the scenes, he is, he is simply breaking down the work of the enemy, and he's dealing with sin, and he's giving freedom, and he's breaking people away from the chains that have bound them in their life. He's setting people free. But you can't be set free and live in the newness of him unless you let go of all the stuff you want to keep holding on to. It doesn't work that way. Those things will just bind you right back up again. 
For this is the work of the kingdom of God. So, fully immerse yourself into that kind of hope. See, one of the biggest arguments against the Christian faith is, well, if God is real and he's such a good God, why are there a bunch of baby boys being murdered by Herod? Why did he allow that? The yeast is being worked through the dough. And he'll make it right. But we're in this time of waiting between his first coming and his second coming. See that? And all the while, while we're waiting in between this time of his first and his second coming, that's when the yeast is working through the dough. And we live in this world where we're surrounded by evil. By people simply being people and by the work of the enemy behind the scenes. So we immerse ourselves in the hope of a baby being born that's subversively working through all of this and all things will be made new. That's my hope. And I cling to it and I never let go of that. I don't put my hope in a bunch of stuff that I know eventually is going to end. I don't put my hope there. My hope is in Jesus. For he is the only one who can save me. He's the only one that can set me free. He's the only one that can properly govern my life. The only one. Therefore, my entire trust is in him. That is why from this pulpit, you don't get a bunch of other stuff. You get Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who is God in flesh that drew near to us. Jesus is the only one who then lived the sinless life and taught us what it means to live in the kingdom. Jesus is the only one who had the power and authority to initially drive out the enemy. Jesus is the only one who died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the only one who raised from the dead. Jesus is the only one who sits in the, in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father with everything subjected to him. Nobody else, no kingdom, no person, no principality and power has replaced Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus and him crucified. And I stand on that hope, and we don't move. For this is the work of God in our world. So next Sunday's Christmas Eve, my goodness. I think of a baby being born. It's just an amazing work of God. That God chose to draw near to us. To deal with things that it's hard for us to comprehend. And to do it in a way sometimes it's hard to comprehend. But yet that is how God is saving the world. Amen? Do you believe is your hope there, though? That's the thing. See, sometimes I think we get disconnected. I believe this so much, but then we don't put our hope in it. We end up putting our hope in a lot of other stuff. Well, if, if this would just happen, it would fix it. Or this person gets to do this, it'll fix it. If this would just change, it'll fix it. it, it that, maybe put a Band-Aid. Maybe put a little lipstick on the pig. I don't know. But it's only in Jesus that it ultimately happens. There, that's where my hope is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up, if you would, this morning.
Oh, Lord. Wonderful you are. Could you just for a moment just reconfirm your, your, not only your, your, your life, your dedication, but the fullness of your allegiance. The fullness of your allegiance. For all these things in the world that try to take your allegiance and get you to follow them or follow this or do this, the fullness of your allegiance is Jesus. All else is completely secondary. Fullness of my allegiance. And therefore, the fullness of my hope, fullness of my hope. But we hope in you. We hope in your work. We hope that our salvation will be fully secure. We hope in what the word says that you will make all things new. We hope. We don't fully trust anything else. Our trust in you. So we live by faith. So we follow you even when it doesn't make sense sometimes. We follow you even when it gets hard. We follow you when there's a tug inside of us to do it the world's way, but you say, no, no, no. Do it my way. We, we follow you. And there's the essence of discipleship, what it means to pick up our cross every day and follow you. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you. That you drew near to us to show us a different way, a new way. I thank you, Lord. So we give ourselves to you once again this morning. All of us, every part of us. to learn to live this Jesus way in the midst of this lost and sometimes very evil world. Help us. We live in the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And we're very sensitive to the still small voice that is speaking to us and leading us and guiding us. Lord, this is a very noisy world. I pray we're able to discern you in the midst of all this noise. Help us. I pray each one of us is encouraged today to keep going, keep at it, to not give up. Help us, Lord. For only in you, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the glory, and yours is the power. No place else, no one else. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I, I just keep getting this sense of, of just... He's just calling us to draw near, to, to enter in closeness with him. Maybe you just put that in your heart. Ask for it. Go respond. Oh, gee, to know you more. Lord, to know you more. Oh, Jesus. 
we love you today and we praise you. I pray blessings on each one of us as we go today. Hearts full of you. I pray for opportunity this week to, to tell others about you. We make an impact during this week for the kingdom of God. I thank you for that. We get to be in on what you're up to. I thank you for that. Encouragement, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, we love you. Hope you have a good week. If you're out of town with family over Christmas, we'll see you when you get back. We'll be blessed. If not, be here with us. All right? Have a wonderful week. Be blessed as you go today. Oh, Jesus.